know what really makes us mad? Is wasting money on CDs with only one or two good songs. Yeah. Tell them about punk. What's up, posers? Welcome to Punk Lotto Pod. I am your co-host, Justin Hensley. I am your other co-host, Dylan Hensley. And today, we are joined by Zach and Chris of the band Demons. They're a Norfolk, Virginia band. Kind of hardcore, kind of noisy. You know, really, really good record they put out this year called Privation on Spartan Records. And uh, what are we talking about today? And we are talking about the year 2005, and the album is Shallow by Piss Jeans. Yeah, this is a really, really fun conversation. <laughs> we had a lot of directions I did not expect. No, no, not at all. There's like uh, three major twists <laughs> in this whole episode that I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah, these, these two guys are they're definitely very like thoughtful, but also funny and knowledgeable and fun little uh, little. Yeah, there is a big detour we take uh, <laughs> that's uh, going to be a little. You're either going to love it or hate it, but. Uh... <laughs> I think it's personally very interesting. There's a nice reveal in the middle of the, in the beginning of the episode, which was fun. So like, there's all sorts of good stuff in this episode. (laughs) And let's see, we can have some more fun over on the Patreon. (laughs) (laughs) You'll, you'll hear all sorts of weirdness on the Patreon episode this week. Yeah. (laughs) Can we tell the, should we tell the story here or did we tell it in the Patreon? We told it at, I think we told it in the Patreon. Okay. Anyway, go uh, sign up for a dollar and find out what we're talking about. <laughs> um, and also sign up for our newsletter, which I'm not going to promise anything <laughs> at this point. But uh, if I write something, it'll come out at uh, com. I've got the next afternoon and the two days after that free. <laughs> so we'll see if something shakes loose. Yeah. No promises. No promises. No dice. Uh, <laughs> and we're on all forms of social media Instagram, Facebook, Twitter at Punk Pod. Email address is punklotopod at gmail.com and a voicemail line is 202688punk. I think that about covers everything. You can go to Linktree <laughs> and find us as well if that's how you want to find all of our links together at once. But Or just click in the show notes right below. But uh, yeah, enjoy the show. This conversation is just really, really fun. I hope you all enjoy it just as much as we had having the conversation so thanks a lot
Probably a bracket. Yeah, like a two and a half hour one. Yeah. Okay. You said it was a bracket, like a March Madness style type deal. Yeah. yeah. We did a. We did like two or three. We did two of them, right? They were like one was like a pop punk bracket, so we just like took all these like '90s pop punk bands and like put them in a in a bracket, and then we just talked about each one, and then like voted on who goes on to the next round, each matchup. Yeah. 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 It's pretty fun. They're fun to do. They're, they just take a lot of work. Yeah. There's this uh, Instagram account that is doing um, little uh, story contests. They do the story polls mm-hmm. for a band, and they just did Lagwagon. They've done Bouncing Souls and Propagandi, um, and just goes to their best records. Um, so it's kind of like a bracket, but it's uh, and that's what made me think of that. Just like end, ending up like what people think are the band's best records through this kind of process, through this polling. And uh, the propaganda one was total bullshit, by the way. <laughs> People were saying that was uh, that like how to clean everything was the, the best record. And no offense if any of you love that record and think it's the best propaganda record. I just don't think that it is even close to being the best propaganda record. So anyway, I'm not really into propaganda, propaganda, but I I actually just listened to that record this week. <laughs> funny enough uh, <laughs> and it's it's not it's definitely not their best <laughs> no no it's like not even close so what's your pick for best uh supporting cast um, oh you going to one for me okay <laughs> well i mean 2009 i think came out so new new i mean if we think like yeah you know less talk more rock is good as well but yeah i don't i think i gotten better i think honestly failed to say the, all the new stuff my least favorite uh city limits or the first one but uh, yeah, so I, I think a supporting cast is by far uh, the best. I'm I'm between like today's Empire's Mars Ashes and uh, uh, let's talk more rock. Yeah, it's probably the today's today's is so good too. I mean, yeah. all, honestly, from um, let's talk on. I mean, it's all solid for sure. I just uh, there's some great songs on Potemkin City Limits, but just ultimately, like as a record, I don't like it as much. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not super into like the later, like more metal inspired metal stuff. Yeah. yeah, 
I'm just not a huge thrash fan in general, so that's kind of what they're leaning towards. They're in that world. They're in the realm for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Do you um you use you use Demons USA a lot online? Is that yeah, like yeah. the name of the band, or you just still just go by Demons? It's it's actually funny. I I think for the sake of this podcast, you can just go by Demons. But um, you know, there's like this Swedish band called Demons. I mean, honestly, it's not the most original band name. And sort of running into those issues, just like, oh, there's this band that exists there and this band that exists there, blah, blah, blah. And so I'm just kind of playing with ways to distinguish ourselves from other demons. But so, so a lot of times I'll put Demons USA. Um, and that might become more official in the near future. But right now, you're fine to just do demons. Yeah. yeah. If you, in the, in the future, I could even change it. Like, I can, like, retitle episodes and all that kind of stuff. Cool. In the future, right. if you make it official, if you want to be, <laughs> if you want the SEO or whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, for the listeners' sake, uh, let's let's make it a little easier to tell your voices apart. Uh, could each of you say your name and your role in Demons? Cool. Yeah. So uh, my name's Chris, and I play guitar and sing in the band Demons. Uh, my name is Zach, and I also play guitar and sing in the band Demons. Uh, you guys just put out your second album, second full length, right? That's right. It's called Privation, <laughs> it's like, and it just Privation, yeah. My uh, <laughs> Privation. My, my uh, I don't know. I I either just typed it wrong, but it changed it to Pervation. So I don't. <laughs> I was like, wait, that's not the name of the record. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Privation. Uh, um, yeah, it came I came out April April first. Chris, is that the day it came out? Yeah, I think Very, so. April thirtieth. It's kind of weird to distinguish release time because there's like there was no release show. There was no. It's just like oh, it's, it's done now. <laughs> it's out there. We just it's there. Uh, but yeah, we it was just released in the, in the spring of 2021. So yeah, and uh, you know we're super stoked. Honestly, the the first record we put out, the first full length we put out was like 2017. So it's been four years, and it feels weird that it's been that long. I don't feel that I feel like that long, but it has been four years, um, and this is the second full length we have, and so yeah, we're we're excited about it. Excited to play shows um, after a year, over a year of not playing shows. So when did you record it? I think we Chris. actually started recording this a li- very shortly after the initial closure. So I know here in Virginia, we everything went into like full lockdown. I, th- I want to say like March thirteenth, maybe which was right after we had just played a show. And so I think it was in that spring that we recorded it. And we were just, we were using a a studio space. Our bassist, John, he's engineered uh, all of the records that we've done. So he basically just pulled, pulled his rig out of, out of our space and brought it to this other space. So we just kind of spent this, a series of, I'd say probably about a month or a month and a half locking them all in. And that was sort of after the course of, Many of those songs, a, a handful of those songs that are on the record, Privation, actually had been written. We had, they had been fully integrated into our live set, but like by the time we released our first full length. So like that's how long we had kind of been oh, sitting wow. on some of that stuff. So for some of those songs, like going in and recording them in, in the studio was more or less just a new execution on something that we had already been working with and toying with for a long time, years at that point. It's almost like they were just like fully live show tested and you know by having them for that long it's it's is it nice to be like all right we know how these songs go like no worrying about it when you go in and record we've 
with one of them it's called lever on the record and that's the one we've had for a very 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 long time and we actually uh, have a recorded version that we did prior just we just put out as like a two-song thing and we actually switched that one around for privation we changed it up a little bit um just because it's been out it's been around for so long and i think that was maybe something we wanted to do for ourselves i mean there's really no reason for us to change it other than the fact that we just kind of didn't want the same version to be on two different releases and so in that sense you know because we played it so long that's why we kind of re-approached it on the record uh, on privation uh, we did that with two songs. The, the two songs that we have had the longest. That's right, Chris. Uh, am I right? That was uh, yeah. St. Luke and um, Lieber. So we, we we messed around with those, both of those. Um, to kind of justify keeping on the record, I think, you know, we're not really into long records. You know, we just kind of want a nice 10 song, short, you know, compact kind of thing. And so we put those songs on the record because we like the songs and we still, you know, love playing the songs live but i think after having them for so long it kind of makes us yeah some second guest sessions like okay what do we want to do do we want to put this on the full length or not that kind of thing so in that sense it kind of makes it tricky when we're trying to think about how to compile a whole record especially when you've been trying you know with all the covid stuff that's been going on like all the timelines are just kind of screwy um it's hard to make sense of anything in most cases no matter what and covid made it even <laughs> <laughs> it even more difficult so well the new record is i listened to both uh full links in comparison just to like kind of see like where the how the band has progressed in, in the over the years and the new record like there's, there's always that like concept of people saying like oh there's a sophomore slump you know the first record was amazing but the second record isn't as good this is like a step above the last record like production wise songwriting wise like this is just like the first record was good, but I find this record is just like, well, you guys are like either way more comfortable or confident as a band. Like, I, I love how the new record sounds. Yeah, thank you awesome. so much thank for saying so much. that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, because we, uh, again, there's even still so many songs on the record that we haven't played live. So it's, it's really cool, like, hearing any kind of reception to any of it, just because some of this we don't have any feedback on yet, you know? But yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I can, there are ways in which I can sense sonic shifts where I can sense, you know, philosophical shifts. And then there's even just like practical shifts. When I first came into Demons, you know, the specific practice space that we were in, the way that we were rehearsing, the way that we wrote songs, even just changing practice space, even just changing the night that we do practices on, like little things like that, I think can even have just, a, just that much of a small little difference to impact on how you're writing what you're writing so yeah i mean i'm really really glad to hear that that it's something that like feels like a progression but yeah i mean i i think i don't know like we're all just kind of we we all we each kind of change and progress and and ebb and flow and like what we're listening to and, and just all of those little things i'm sure are playing some kind of um, some kind of role but I always kind of, you know, I'll listen to podcasts or I'll read, you know, watch interviews with bands and things like that. And I'll hear some bands talk about some big definitive thing like changing members or, you know, whatever. And that causes like a shift. So it's like we don't have anything big like that that's taken place to kind of shift anything. But um, I think we have. We've gotten way more comfortable with each other. What we're listening to is shifting and changing and how that influences like what we're writing and how we're playing, I think, shifts and changes. Yeah, I think. You know, when I started the the project, so to speak, before it was even kind of ambitioned as a band, 
I was, um, I am still very super impressionable when it comes to influences. Like I'll hear something. I mean, my influences when I started this thing were all over the map and they still are. And I think like, honestly, that first record is part of learning process. Um, and that's, what's kind of weird about making records at all. Just or doing anything creative and kind of putting it out there. It's like, you're kind of betting that this is going to stand as some representation of yourself and, and your friends that you can stand by. And, you know, I agree with you that privations like, you know, leaps ahead of our first record, um, embrace Wolf. So, and I think that uh, this development kind of is also a result of us kind of knowing more. So what we want to do sonically. Um, I think that embrace Wolf is this kind of like, there's a lot of stuff on Embrace Wolf. I, at least that's I, I hear like a lot of different influences on Embrace Wolf. And also, Chris was like still kind of new creatively in the band, um, so he's kind of coming in and finding his sea legs in terms of where his creativity kind of fits within us three because we were already there. And so that was all is kind of happening in that one weekend when we did Embrace Wolf in 2000, however long ago it was. Um, and over the years, we've been playing those songs. We know songs we don't want to play. We know what songs we like to play, and that kind of thing just kind of you know inspires us or motivates us to go in certain directions in the privation sessions and so you know i'm a big kind of you know big punk rock fan like i love the kind of fast double bass beat i was a fat records kid growing up and so i like that stuff still that's not on embrace wolf uh ravage the first real song on privation is this kind of thing where i just wanted you know that was me being a fat records kid but also being turned on to cursed in the past you know, five years hanging out with Chris. So we have this kind of thing where, like Chris said, we're learning about each other, um, but also becoming more confident in terms of what we want to do um, sonically and how we want to kind of um, present ourselves in that sense as well. So I think it's more cohesive. It's more uh, focused for sure. Yeah. I mean, it sounds great. The record's really, really good. I love it. Um, definitely one of the best heavy records of the year for sure. Um, Thank you. It came out on Spartan Records, which you've worked with them a couple times in the past. Um, that's the only label that's put out uh, Demon stuff so far. So yeah. yes, we have. Uh, I, I was mostly familiar with them due to their uh, Sense Field reissues they did a couple years ago. Like That's how I became aware mm-hmm. of that label. Uh, but how did you wind up working with them in the first place? Um, well, I know John Frazier. John Frazier is the owner of Spartan. I know him just from years prior. I played music, and I was, I've been in doing music full-time for a long time he he was the a and r tooth and nail um and we i was in another band there i'm in another band and for a long time uh and we were on tooth and nail for a while and that's where we met john frazier so we just maintained a relationship over the years and so when i had this idea to kind of put something out i just asked him so honestly i mean it's been you know it's super cool of him to kind of you know he didn't have to put it out it was just me and he doesn't know at the time he didn't know what i could do or what i was going to do but he he said he would do it and so from that i mean honestly it's just because i know him and i i like to think he likes the band he's continued to put out our content and help um so you know but we don't have any kind of long-standing contracts or anything it's been very just kind of like okay you want to do it again he's like yeah let's do it and so that's how it works but it's just because i've known him for a long time and, you know, he's always super rad. Uh, he loves, loves, loves music. And I think that you can kind of see that in what he does with Spartan, the way he runs his business, just like the Sinsfield reissues. You know, he he came up in that era that cr- he worked for Crank, um, then he worked at Drive Through. So he kind of came up with this kind of came up in this emo. Uh, he worked at Plan Nine Records in Richmond, I want to say. Like, you know, he's a Richmond kid. 
So all that stuff. Um, so that's in his DNA. Um, and so for me, you know, he's like, we share a lot of the same interests. And so that's why it, it works. And we're really fortunate that he's cool enough to, to help us out for sure. What, uh, you said you were in a tooth and nail band? You were? Yeah, I played in May. Um, oh, and it's okay. funny because Chris and I, Chris and I were talking about the list and 2005 is when Everglow came out and Everglow was our, right. our second full length. And that was a wild year for me. And like all that, all the, all those bands like Motion City, Armor for Sleep, you know, Mute Met, I don't know if Mute Meth had a record in 2005, Sucker Survive. But so we were looking at this list and I was talking to Chris, like, what do you want to talk about? I was like, Chris, you just want to do it and you like talk about Sun? Because <laughs> I think Sun's <laughs> on that list too. And Chris, like, Sun. And I'm like, you know, and um, I was like, dude, didn't, didn't you see Piss Jeans? I was like, no, I didn't look that deep into the list. And I'm so <laughs> glad that he reminded me. But I'm looking through this list. I'm just like, oh, my goodness. Like 2005, I mean, uh, well, Potipkin City Limits came out. that We were just talking about prop- uh, propaganda. Um, and what else came out that year? I was just thinking. So many things. So many records came out that year. Um, Alkaline Trio, uh, Crimson, I think, uh, came out that year, too. I love that record. So, um, yeah, 2005 was wild, and Chris was like, you know, I'm going to bring it up. And I brought it up before you, Chris. I I took the opportunity (laughs) away. So you can't talk about May. Um, So, yeah, that was a wild year for me. And, you know, super thankful for that as well. You know, that, uh, yeah, that was the tooth and nail band. And May is still um, an entity for sure, playing shows in fall. But it's just more infrequent just because we're all old and we live in different parts of the country now so yeah was may scheduled to play furnace fest we are playing furnace fest okay okay they were oh yeah because it's been rescheduled yeah <laughs> uh well that's uh, awesome i didn't know that that's funny yeah. Uh, yeah it's it's i i have like no shame in telling this story because i still <laughs> to this day am like a little geeked out about it but like when i was when i was a kid when i was like in middle school may was one of my favorite bands <laughs> I, I was one of those kids who like I wasn't, you know, I grew up in like a super Christian sort of religious strict household. And so I wasn't allowed to listen to quote unquote secular music, which limited me to, you know, Reliant K. And if I could get away with it, maybe POD or MXPX, maybe, maybe. Um, so it, you could buy it, it at the Christian like, bookstore. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think there was one in my local mall called Heaven and Earth, if I remember correctly. <laughs> Uh, Hell yeah, that's a good name for one. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. So I was one of those like I, you know, I was turned on to like Blink One Eighty Two and Some Forty One, like lots of different bands that sort of fell in the pop punk range. And lots of middle school kids were listening to them. But I would go on these deep dives. So we had, you know, whatever shitty internet we had at the time. I would go and be like, oh yeah, they're sponsored by Atticus. Let me see all these other Atticus bands. And I, I want to say May was either sponsored by Atticus or Macbeth at some point. And well, that's how Atticus I stumbled and, on them. Yeah, Atticus and Macbeth both, which are the kind of the same company. But yeah, we were on those Atticus comps and catalogs and stuff. It's a wild, oh, yeah. what a wild time. <laughs> yeah. There was a lot I of like money in it then. Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I want to do like this kind of weird deep dive some, at some point into kind of like how that era of music for the quote unquote indie scene, as much as you can challenge that, you know, uh, you know, category. Like had this twilight of bands doing pretty well for themselves, like 2005 and 2007, and then 2007 things kind of changed because I think that a, that a lot of labels are just shipped around and you had a lot of bands just not be able to do it anymore. But I think there's this kind of twilight between 2003 and 2007 where, like, you know, these bands, well, uh, you know, like labels like Tooth and Nail and Fearless and Hopeless and what was that label that Copeland was on? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? 
can't I can't remember what, what the label is called. Dang, I can't um, anyway, they like we were able to like tour and do pretty well, and we were all in bands at the time, all the stuff, and like that ended pretty abruptly. But like, like I mean, there were people making money on these bands. Um, I mean, Tooth and Nail. I think Amber Lynn was on that list too, and Under Oath. I mean, these are all pretty big. You know, those bands were huge for, uh, for Tooth and Nail. So I think that era is kind of interesting. I'd love to do like a, a deep dive into the industry dimensions of that era. Anyway, um, I ramble on this. I will ramble on this podcast <laughs> and just bring you back, please. Uh, was it Militia Group? Militia okay. Group. That's yeah, Militia one. Group. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they had Cartel. Cartel. Yeah. They had. And Copeland did release on Militia Group, right? They, yeah. yeah, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was this current artist. Does Militia Group still exist? No, 2012. I don't think yeah. out of date so. Wikipedia article. <laughs> they, had, uh, they had Rufio. Mm, Rufio. Oh, snap, Rufio. <laughs> Rocket Summer. Yeah, that yeah. Was <laughs> it's all coming back. Juliet oh, and the Licks. When yeah. did that? Oh, wow. <laughs> wow, they had Juli- Juliet and the Licks. Fun. <laughs> Juliet Lewis being on your record label. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, that's awesome. Um, what is Demon's plans for 2021? I know you got some shows lined up. I know you're playing Fest. That's a big one. Well, yeah, super excited to be playing Fest. We have, you know, honestly, we're like, we have so much going on in our lives. Booking a show is like seriously the most tedious thing because we're bad communicators. Or I should say this. We forget things. Um, and so we'll say, hey, let's play the show. Like, okay, we can do it. And then someone comes through. Like, so it's very hard to kind of, book shows um because we're also busy and so we have three shows uh four shows between now and august and we have a little then we do then we do fest and we'll you know probably play some shows on the way down to fest uh god willing uh that we can book some because every that, that market at this point is so saturated with bands actually being, being able to go on tour again so it's kind of hard to book shows on and the tour kind of sense of the word so that's what we have on deck um right now just, just kind of getting our feet wet again, because it's been so long and we haven't played a show in so long. The last show we played was the dead. We played with Dead Kennedys and DOA, and then that weekend uh, things kind of froze up and, and got canceled. I saw that. What was who's singing for the Dead Kennedys now? Oh, I don't know. Uh, I I don't know. Honestly, they've been doing weird things politically lately too, like Jello Biafra, just like kind of like totally disassociate himself from from the dead kennedys right now and i couldn't even watch the show i had to go teach <laughs> <It's> so annoying. <laughs> right. like we played and then i had to leave um i come back and everyone's hanging out i'm like man i missed all of it yeah i don't know who sings for 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 uh dead kennedys right now skip greer he is the founding member of the winona riders oh they were on <laughs> lookout weren't they that sounds right oh. right they're like a pop punk band, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. I think they're on the lookout. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I did not realize that Dead Kings were even like actively playing. Like you know, as of you know, we didn't either. It was like uh, a yeah. flying date. I didn't even know what tour they were on. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, DOA yeah, came down from Canada. Like, I don't know what was going on and why that show was booked or how you know. Because I don't think it was part of a tour. If I'm if I'm mist- I mean, I might be wrong, but. Um, it was like a you know weird rando date that we got asked like days prior if we wanted to open. Said, mm-hmm. Sure, <laughs> why would? Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay, you know. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. little did we know it'd be the last show we would play for a fucking year. <laughs> it's a weird I last know. show to have. Yeah. Yeah, and it was the Indeed. first time playing the shows at the Norba. That's pretty uh, kind of more uh, bigger venue in our in our area, and we had never played a venue that size before. Honestly, whenever like I'm always afraid to think about demons playing in a big space, just because we rely so much on noise and just kind of like closeness. And it's, but it was a fun show. We had a good time. I think I think it was rad. I think I went to the. Uh, did Jawbreaker play the Norva? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was. Oh, yeah, I went to that one. Um, Wait, it was, you went to the Norman show? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Said, where are you from? Oh, uh, I'm in from? North Carolina. So, oh, okay, oh, okay. Cool. okay. No, it wasn't too bad of a drive to see Jawbreaker. You know, it, I I drive further if I had to. You know. Oh yeah. I have yeah. To. <laughs> no, War on, War on Women opened that show up. Didn't yeah, they? yeah. They were awesome. That's the first yeah. time I saw They're them. So uh, good. We got to play with them at Tap House like the prior year, and now it's like seriously the coolest show. Incredible. <laughs> It was so good. Yeah. Yeah, like, and Pogo opened, and it was like, I love Pogo, yeah. but they're definitely not a band for that size of a venue. <laughs> it was odd seeing them there. <laughs> well, awesome. Hopefully we'll get to see uh, Demons live in person this year. I hope so. Yeah. And uh, let's get into the rest of the show. We talked about it a l- little bit ago, uh, but we gave you the year 2005. get into the record you chose for us to talk about what are some other big deal records that came out in 05 man 05 is it so going through this list uh i was like oh my god where do i start i could start with i could talk about things that i was not even remotely on my radar in 2005 but in 2015 i learned about it and it came <laughs> out in 2005 or what I was really <laughs> listening to in 2005. But yeah, in fact, I think Zach mentioned a couple that, that uh, were like right on the, first, the very front page. So one of them in particular that was enormous for me that year was the Circus Survived Juturna record. That record came out that year. I'd been uh, a Sayosin fan kind of up until that point. And hadn't listened to anything Circus Survive had done before that, but I just was mesmerized by what was going on guitar-wise. Uh, I was a little over the Anthony Green vocal thing by that <laughs> point in my life, um, but I was like, "Oh, this is th- I'll, I'll put up with that for for you know." And that was kind of a point too when I think I was getting really exploratory with my guitar playing, and I I feel like at that time uh, my mom and I lived in 
this house that had this really big garage because the only time I've ever lived in a house that had like a proper place to set up a guitar and just kind of wail. And so I remember kind of going out in my, in my garage and, and just spending hours just kind of like seeing how I could shape feedback and how I could get like melodic little tones to bounce off of each other and bend things in weird ways. And it really, I mean, that just that period in my life just had a, a enormous impact in general on my style as a guitar player and that record really had a lot to do with it which it it's kind of funny because i don't think you would i don't think anyone would ever listen to demons and be like oh were you influenced by circus revive but i feel like that's <laughs> definitely something that like i pulled a lot a lot from and yeah that also that motion city soundtrack record like you know i i always kind of associate myself with like more like hardcore and you know i i you know, I fuck with power violence and, you know, a, a variety of different, like, really aggressive sides of the punk world. But, like, in 2005, that's not where I was at at all. You know, <laughs> I, I definitely was on some metalcore stuff, for sure. But uh, I was really, really influenced a lot by bands like Minus the Bear and, like, uh, like Circus Survive. I think um, Son, I Loves You at Your Darkest by As Cities Burn came out that year, too. Um which was another huge, huge, huge drop for me. But yeah, that that Motion City soundtrack record, uh, like to this day, I I sing songs from that. I sing "Commit This to Memory" in the shower, like to this day. <laughs> <laughs> it it's a perfect record. "Commit This to Memory" is just straight up pure emo pop goodness. Like it's one of the most like front to back stacked records I, I've I've ever listened to. I love that record so much. 10 out of 10 yeah like my 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 best friend from that period of my life still my best friend to this day i'll typically go down he lives in florida uh, like outside of daytona i'll typically go down and visit him like once a year and every time i do it's not like i'm showing him stuff that i'm listening to right now or he's showing me stuff he's listening to right now he'll like make a playlist and it'll be all the bullshit we listened to uh, back then but oftentimes it'll it he'll play stuff like old old motion city soundtrack and then for the next six months of my life that's all i'm listening to <laughs> i think going on that kind of metric about what was going to be huge in my life at the time in 2005 uh based on this list um i want to say it's probably either Timken city limits uh by propaganda or crimson by alkaline trio i'm a really big alkaline trio fan to this day um, I have so many thoughts and opinions on the whole Blink Alkaline Trio thing. Like, <laughs> so Crimson was a really cool record. I think like Back to Hell's on that uh, on that record. Maybe. Um, so I don't know that record. I love that record. I, I listen to it pretty frequently still. And so based on that, you know, I see all these records on the list like Jack's Mannequin and Motion City Soundtrack and Anne Berlin and you know Circus Survive and. Those were bands that May at the time was kind of involved with in one manner or another. I mean, we toured with all of the bands I just mentioned, I think. But for me, I was like, I don't know. I couldn't really tell you what I was listening to at the time a lot of, um, like in a more broader sense. But I do know the Alkaline Trio record. I dug a whole lot and I still dig it um, for sure. And now, you know, how many years later? 16 years later. Is it 16 years later? 2005, 16 years ago? Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, 16 years later, that is a, it's a little different, and that's why we've come to the, the record we chose tonight to talk about. But it's just wild how crazy the year 2005 was. All these records, I mean, that you know, just like it's so saturated, so popular, you know, like so many bands put out records, good records, 
and like kind of like a turning point records you know like records that kind of like put these bands into like you know into this kind of new kind of like people got excited about these bands in a whole new way after these after these records came out yeah looking at like looking at the list myself just seeing and trying to remember what i was listening to at the time i was still very much into the metalcore scene at the time very heavily into tooth and nail and solid states records so like oh god the aftermath by norma jean came out in 05 mm-hmm. uh terminate damnation by becoming the archetype like those records were absolutely massive for me then yes uh, and then undoing ruin by darkest hour which uh, is i think is a phenomenal record by them yeah it's it's, it's funny i'm looking at stuff and i'm like oh, i love that record i love that record like but i wasn't listening to it then <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah um, that's like that's a, that's a huge Cavins. thing that i was yeah, yeah. What's what? What Caven record came out that year? Perfect Pitch Black, and it has that song Trapanning on it, and that song yeah. is so so good. Oh man, good so good. I I saw him at Alley Cat in Richmond on I think it was probably that tour, and it was with um, Converge and Between the Buried and Me. Um, <laughs> it was seriously one of the cooler shows I've been to. I still remember <laughs> to this day. Um, the Caven was so good. So good. Just a totally normal everyday tour package that you would have in the mid two thousands between the period yeah. of me and Converge and Cave In. Yeah, right. And it was like sixteen bucks. Yeah, man. I remember yeah, it was wild because Wilco played the same night in Norfolk. I remember because a buddy of mine I'd already bought tickets to Converge. And I was like, man, I really want to go see Wilco too. And seeing the Wilco up to Norville would have been insane. Um, but we went out to Richmond. And it was super rad. And during Converge's set, this poor person, she was taking photos um, on stage. And she, she tripped over Kurt's power uh, AC cable um, while taking photos. And the, the amp cut out. <laughs> like, he, he, was, he was so mad. Um, and she was so probably mortified. I, just, I think about that were me to this day. Someone taking photos of Alley Cats tripping over Kurt Blue's amp and unplugging it. Jeez. Jeez. It gives me anxiety. It wasn't even me. And it was like, how many years ago? But, but I don't know. I, there's something about watching. Did they do that thing where like the rest of the band is going, but like he just has to like, scramble to get, or do they just do that? They stopped entirely. Oh, I think like, I think they stopped. My memory, my memory's foggy on if they just kept going, but. They probably stopped, which made probably made it worse, just because you know, convert songs are so fast, and without Kurt playing guitar, it just it probably <laughs> just falls apart entirely. Like you need him there. So and yeah, I don't know, but it was a wild show. I got up on the balcony, so I was able to watch it from up there. It was super good. Speaking of between the way to me, they put out Alaska in two thousand five. Dylan, were you into them oh, yet, or would it take another year or two? I got into them probably right before Colors came out. I want to say so. I was I was definitely not into Alaska in 2005, but I loved that record then. I have not listened to it in probably like ten years. <laughs> I I cannot tell you if it holds up for me. <laughs> there's there's a lot of stuff like that from this time period where it's just like I'll I'll let that be a great record in my memory. I don't really need. To go down that path, and <laughs> yeah, you just was... kind of like let it let it live gloriously in your memory. Like you know, I, I get that for sure. And I think a lot of times, like if I do listen to a record, it's like it's just a pure nostalgia play. And like yeah. I can 
sit there and tell you that I don't like this right now, but I'll still listen to it. It still gives me some kind of, you know, pleasure. So yeah, definitely get that. Just yeah. let it be. Just let I, this lets you live in your good memory. Just let it lie. It's good where it is. Because <laughs> I went through this and I was like, should I talk about? Could I, could I talk about the Tony Danza tap dance extravaganza or heavy heavy low low or any of those like garbage records I really was liking at that time? I'm like nah, I think those belong there, and we'll just keep those. <laughs> like I'm not gonna pick the triptych by Demon Hunter. Yeah, even though that was a huge deal for us when it came out. Right. Yeah. So, you know, uh, In Motion by Copeland came out in 2005, which is like one of my, I think that's my favorite record of theirs. That's is my in absolute motion. favorite Copeland record. Yeah. Super good. I think, was Rusty still playing drums for them on that record? I think he was before uh, New Dude came in. But yeah, I love that. Right yeah, now. I think Rusty still was because I think they played. They played in Virginia Beach at at uh, the Jewish Mother with Paper Route, I think, and I think that was the last uh, show that I got to see Rusty actually play with them, which was pretty. Rad. Um, yeah, he was like super rad drummer, and now they were like, you know, they went more like moody, and after that record, slowly, you know, but that record like was like they had really heavy stuff on that record, riff wise, like Love Is a Fast Song, and uh, yeah, I think it's like. I don't know. Copeland at the peak, personally. <laughs> you mentioned that Sun record. Uh, which one is it? Black One. I think it's Black One. Yeah, that'd be the one to talk about. I think. Yeah, yeah. That was. I remember. I remember one time Zach asked me uh, a question. He and he said, "Chris, do you when you listen to Sun?" <laughs> <laughs> Like, you, is it for fun or is it like academic? Like, you're, is it is it going to an art gallery or is it going to see like a Ben Stiller movie? Like, what is where does it fall? <laughs> and I, when this when I'm this fun. record actually came yeah. out, yeah, like I, I know when this rec when I first got introduced to Sun Black One is the first thing I ever heard by Sun, and I thought to myself, there's cool things about like, especially as a guitarist and especially as a guitarist who enjoyed aspects of like the way that guitar can drone and the low end that you can generate from that. And so I was like, there's definitely cool stuff here, but I don't, I don't get it. It was kind of like, uh, <laughs> that's just kind of how I felt. I was like, I don't understand, but I knew so many people who had what I thought were, you know, much more refined, sophisticated musical palettes than me who really, really enjoyed this band. And I, you know, it took me 10 years to find out that they're like a t-shirt band and like, it was really cool to have a sun t-shirt or a sun patch or a sun, you know, whatever. <laughs> but like, so it was a band that at first I, I definitely found myself returning to it because I was just intrigued and fascinated, but mostly confused. Like how do, how does someone make it through an entire sitting of this or like go see a show of this? And over time, the more I kept returning to it, the more I kept finding that when I wasn't listening to it, I was craving that there was just, there was nothing else that I knew of that felt like that that felt like what it felt like when i listened to that particular record and i think that's a record too that um attila uh is singing on quite a bit mm -hmm. and so i i really found myself so i st once i started kind of researching and looking into um, sort of the backstory of just how sun formed and who the other guys were and what they did before and then recognizing attila's role as kind of like a come in come out sometimes he collaborates sometimes he's not in the picture at all with what they're doing was really really cool but i also just genuinely just started developing a soft spot for like no i i crave this kind of you know it, I, I crave this musically i want to i need that itch scratched 
Um, so now it's it's not it now it is a recreational lesson and it's not purely academic. But <laughs> what was yeah, going you on? Know, <laughs> I have I have so many questions to this day about Sun. I think Chris has a comfort cord at rehearsal, and Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like Chris's comfort cord is drawn from Sun. Like he just plays these chords and he lets them ring out for as long as he can before someone says something. Um, and I just am so curious and not in the critical sense, like how's it been like Sun even like, do they, did they ever play small venues? Do they ever play a basement? Like they're so, their presence is so enormous, right? How do you, she's like, if Sun comes to Tap House, like, and Tap House is the bar we play in Norfolk, like it's small, you know, what was their trajectory like to to end up playing? You know, uh, where'd you go see him at the theater in DC, Chris? Yeah, I saw him at Howard Theater in DC, and I also saw him at Nine Thirty Club in DC. I really so want to know like, how they how they got because they pretty much jumped straight to playing big spaces. It seems like yeah, like what what happened? Well, they I mean, started with like Goat Snake and all those other bands. Before. Right. I mean, I know the like, their their previous bands, but those are definitely bands that you could you would have seen at like the Redneck Biker Bar. Yeah, like, yeah. It's, it was. How do you go from that like like <laughs> dive bar in a place like where Justin lives currently? Yes. Yes. Hickory, um, North Carolina, to like <laughs> playing massive venues. Like, yeah, they just materialize you know where on stage somewhere it's like the you know <laughs> in robes it's yeah in robes <laughs> like you know they're so committed you know and i think that's what i like about a band like that even if i don't listen to them to know like like one thing i can talk to chris about is like okay like the idea of sticking with the band for so long just because you know you should end up liking this band it's a cool process to me. And I think that, you know, there's bands like that. I'm still kind of like, okay, well, you know, I'm going to keep listening because I think that one day I'm going to get it, you know? <laughs> and I don't know where that comes from, you know, but it's definitely a different type of listening, it's a different type of engaging the, the, the music. And so I think with Sun, I'm so intrigued. And maybe that's, you know, I'll listen to it one day and I'll, I'll get it for 30 seconds and that's going to get me to the next song or the next listen you know it's like reading like a russian novel it's like you have like 200 <laughs> yeah. pages of total boredom but like one paragraph of brilliance and it gets you through the book you know so i don't know it's intriguing to me and i'm fascinated by it and i saw a hard times headline recently and it said sun finally admits that that third parentheses was a mistake that's a typo, whether they didn't change. <laughs> well, you know, one thing about that band I think that has always, and I I wonder if, like, the answer to this is kind of the answer to the larger question, because th that is, like, I can't see them loading, like, down basement stairs. Like, how do you, you know? Um, <laughs> loading in at all. Like, with loading in, period. We're, yeah. We're at capacity. We can't fit any more <laughs> SVT stacks. Like, there's no... <laughs> Also, only ten. Like we only have our fog machines then, so. <laughs> right? <laughs> but like, I know, I know that like Stephen O'Malley in particular, just like following him on social media now, he's so plugged in with so much 
obscure performance art type stuff. So like if you follow just his Instagram, it's he's always big upping some, you know, some obscure cellist from Iceland or, you know, or he he was in some production where they had a, a smoke sculptor come in and he scored the it's like stuff like that. And so I don't know where I don't know where the like that middle section is, like where these guys start plugging into that. I, I don't know what their personal histories are and how they got attached to kind of larger, the larger, more avant-garde art kind of scene in general. But I feel like that's kind of the inroad for how they just sort of become like a, a large venue type of type of thing, because even just thinking about um, like Domkirk, uh, which is a live recording that they did from the Borealis Festival in, I think, Norway. And it's a beautiful record. It, it is just fascinating to listen to. And because it's live, you get all this characteristic that is um, it just seeps through. And so it's really, really cool. But like how the how, how do you end up with a band like that on a festival like this? And in my in my mind, it now right currently with the context that I now have. <laughs> It makes all it makes complete sense, but I'm wondering if it's it, like how they kind of got into that sort of parallel art world that looked at because if you go to a Sun show, like yes, you'll see kids who just look like punks. You'll see kids who are clearly like big into black metal, but you'll also see a handful of people who look like they are probably going back home to a retirement community. Like you'll see older people there. You'll see just totally straight laced, normal people there too. And, you know, I, I think when I was younger, it would have been like, what are you doing here? But I think now I, I, I realize like, wait a second, this is appealing to people beyond just a like, I need something that's really heavy. Like th th this has appeal to people beyond that, you know, I don't know what that specific appeal is, but yeah, there, def there definitely was like a branching off point, like because early on the Southern Lord stuff was just kind of ubiquitous with like doom and stoner metal and that kind of stuff. But I guess it's probably around that what? those KTL records they were doing. That's yeah. when it started to be like, now we're just a performance piece. Like the company's an exhibit, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I'm just curious what grants they applied for to purchase that back line. <laughs> so like, Dude, <laughs> like, Oh, we're sponsored by the national endowment for the arts. or <laughs> That's so funny. Sweet, I'm they, going to buy like are, 10 Model Ts. Are they an American band? Is that yeah. a weird question? Yeah. They're, they're yeah. from America, which is yeah. even more hilarious to me. Like, where are they, yeah, where are they from? Where, are they from? Because it's the two of them. It's Greg Anderson and Stephen O'Malley. Greg Anderson was like an engine kid, right? I mean, they yeah. formed in LA. Greg Anderson is from Seattle. Okay. Um, Seattle's what I always associate them with, but yeah, because I mean Earth they have that connection too. with Earth, yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. They're both they're both from Seattle um, oh. originally. So, well, do, do any I'm of you have so much about sun? I was gonna say like this. I I never expected such an in depth discussion where like Attila <laughs> Chihar comes up and like, <laughs> on this punk podcast. <laughs> Well, it, it just got you got me thinking because this was definitely the era where I'm probably in 2005 or 2006. We would have been like laying on our neighbor's floor listening to Sun Records. Yeah. And then like he shows us some like insanely gory Italian horror movie or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
And then we go home and we're like, let's just listen to some breakdowns. <laughs> Put on that Haste the Day album. Right. Let's unwind <laughs> with some Haste the Day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, we've gone... Have we gone 45 minutes already? We haven't even gone to the <laughs> album yet. I know. This is like the best type of podcast. <laughs> the best type of conversation. <laughs> uh, we gave you 2005. You picked Shallow by Piss Jeans. like the connection we can make from like artistic sludge stoner drone with with like gnarly noise rock with like kind of gross imagery (laughs) it's the noise i mean it's a piss jeans fan like a sun fan can very likely be a piss jeans fan i feel like that yeah it's a a very natural we have have one right here i mean i can't call myself (laughs) a sun fan but chris is a sun fan and he also likes piss jeans. And the reason I like piss jeans is because Chris turned me on to piss jeans. And one of the great things about getting to know Chris more intimately over the years is that he has been able to turn me on to music that I've been looking for, but I didn't know what I was looking for. That sounds really romantic and dramatic, and I don't mean it to sound <laughs> that way. But there's like this kind of space of like noisy rock that. I wanted to find, and I'm still searching for a lot of it because it's few and far between for me. You know, like you have this, as a kid, you listen to Nirvana's in utero, and then it kind of, you know, you hear a song like Tourette's, so it kind of puts you on a track a little bit, but you don't know how to navigate the world at all. And so over the, you know, I've been looking for this type of stuff, and I think Piss Jeans really scratching its for me because I'm a big Black Flag, Black Flag fan. And I think that Piss Jeans sounds a lot like Black Flag. I remember hearing their song Healthcare Plan and I was just like, this could be a Black Flag song, um, not lyrically, but musically. And I remember getting to bands like Super Drunk Ritual, like really trying to find this kind of line between like heavy music, punk, but also just kind of like really loose noise type stuff. And so when I, you know, when I heard about Piss Jeans, you know, Chris told me about them. And I was like, this band is really, really cool. And so from there, we kind of we come we kind of go on the journey. And that's why we come to Shallow, because, you know, the first, the record that I heard first was um, Why Love Now. That's the, the most recent, re- recent one still, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and so from there, I kind of went backwards. And, you know, I was looking, I got that record right here. Look, I, I came prepared. I know this is a podcast and so no one can see it. So. <laughs> I, have, <laughs> I have the record right there. I was looking at it and they're from Pennsylvania. I don't know. It's just, anyway, that's a, and me and Chris both love his jeans. So that's a record we can both talk about. I can't talk about Sun. <laughs> Let me run down some uh, album stats for us. Uh, so, Piss Jeans formed in Allentown, Pennsylvania in 2003. This is their first full length album. It was originally released on Parts Unknown Records, and Parts Unknown has released al- uh, a negative FX demo comp uh, and albums by Career Suicide, Clock Cleaner, Homo Stupids, and Drunk Driver. Uh, the album was reissued on Sub Pop Records with their 7-inch Throbbing Organ, which is what you can listen to on Spotify. Uh, it's been remastered as well. And the personnel on this record is Bradley Fry on guitar, Dave Rosenstrauss on bass, Matt Corvette on vocals, and Tim Weinerzuck on drums. And it was recorded by Dan McKinley. That's where I'll pause for now. So I guess uh, the number one thing I like to ask whenever we get to the album section is, what made you choose this album specifically to talk about? Yeah, I mean, the 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 record really, like, it jumped out to me because I think in, in our band, we all kind of come in from different angles in terms of what we're used to playing, the music we most frequently listen to, even just our experience in bands, you know, we've got two guys in the band who have done like, you know, really Zach has done the majority of like the full time kind of touring musician sort of thing. And and our drummer Drew um, has a lot of has a lot of experience with that kind of larger, larger scale than what I'm used to. And but we always end up finding these things that like all four of us like. And sometimes it'll be things that just two of us like or just another little pair of us or maybe three of us. But there are always things that kind of meet right in the middle. And I don't think we ever necessarily look at those and and say, okay, well, since we all like this, let's try to write stuff that sounds like this necessarily. But I think that this is a band um, that to me seems to be something that feels like it's sort of it makes sense why things that i write might sound the way that they write that uh, sound the way that they sound based on the fact that piss jeans is a band that i've been following since around this time period you know what i'm saying um and even just that kind of funny conversation like a sun fan being a uh, piss jeans fan shouldn't be that that surprising and a big part of it is yeah it's the noise it's it's like it's that's how i kind of really started engaging with how i liked playing guitar and I was coming out of this place of um, being into a lot of metalcore and a lot of like the Christian metalcore stuff in particular, and then just the slew of kind of you know young kid deathcore bands that were populating all around Virginia Beach and Chesapeake and Suffolk and Portsmouth and this little Hampton Roads area. And I didn't like I didn't like that little culture. It just felt it you know everything kind of sounded the same and whatever. And then the hardcore scene conversely felt like i don't belong there like i've been to these shows i you know sometimes i like the bands but i just i never feel like i fit in i don't have any friends at these shows and so i started gravitating more toward your you know may and copeland and circus survive and minus the bear and the national and stuff like that and so a band like pistines always really was exciting for me because they kind of felt like outsiders you know they felt like they appealed to people who were into all different stripes and shades and textures of 
bands that fall in the punk umbrella, but they at the same time they weren't like the cool guy at, at the show. You know, it was that that was that was like the weird guy who goes home feeling like, man, I fucking no one talked to me at that show. You know, <laughs> at least that's how I associated it, <laughs> and especially this record. But really, the more practical answer is I knew that Zach and I could both talk about this record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean that. I mean for me, I like bands that you know one of the things that i like about punk rock the most is this kind of idea uh, if it's not realized enough um in, in actuality um at least the myth of it is this idea that you can just get up there and do it um and not necessarily reflect or kind of mimic or what whatever the current trends are or be talented all this kind of like all these kind of very reductive and sophomore characterizations of punk rock as a culture um as as sophomore as they may be and reductive as they may be i do think there's something appealing in that um because for me one of the biggest issues i had and still have um and and demons in particular is just confidence and so the the fact that i did okay well i said well i'm just going to do it no matter what when i when i find bands that reflect this kind of attitude or disposition of just um kind of a grounded or intelligent irreverence to me it's like a big turn on um and so you know the first track on this record I and mean, it's, it's called i'm sick and it's literally just him talking about physical symptoms he has um <laughs> and i think that you know we could go deep on that and probably do a critical analysis of those <laughs> lyrics um, in a way, and he'd probably, the singer, would probably say that that's not at all what I was talking about. But I think there's <laughs> something like that, like is there with this band. And in addition to them just being loud and noisy, I think they're also this kind of picture of social commentary um, in a very subtle, sometimes more direct um, way. And so all this kind of stuff for me kind of coalesces in, in, on this band, uh, on Piss Jeans. And I think that's why I like them so much. And that's why, and also because Chris and I can both talk about it. So that's a very, like, very strict practical reason. But also just like <laughs> when I think about Piss Jeans, like the commentary on masculinity, all this kind of stuff. I mean, um, it's super rad. Uh, Chris and I went and saw them um, in Richmond and with Mud Honey, right, Chris? Mud Honey was, yep. was the Mud Honey tour. Um, and Gummings. It was Gumming. Gumming. Yeah. And he came out, the band came out, and he had, like, a net tank top on and, like, this huge, uh, what was that, uh, huge white claw? Like, it was one of, like, the big size white claws. And it was just, like, <laughs> like the 40-ounce 40, 40 white claw. <laughs> it was, like, just a super rad show. Um, and it's just super motivating. I think a band like that's very inspiring because it kind of brings me back to what I like about the culture itself. And yeah, you know, I don't know who the rad band. Um, Dylan, what is your prior feelings on the band Piss Jeans before listening to them for this week's episode? I remember listening to them in college, probably around the time King of Jeans came out. I want to say it's probably about 2009. And I remember being, it's interesting listening. I was listening to them before I really knew anything about like, jesus lizard or like amrap in general i like i was i knew i knew unsane but that was kind of it as far as like noise rock big noise rock bands 
So it's it's kind of funny. I I remember listening to them at a time when I was listening to like a lot of end of a year and a lot of the emo revival stuff that was happening, and they were just really an oddity. I feel like in in my listening habits and my discography in my catalog at the time, what I was listening to, but I really enjoyed them. I mean then, but they didn't really click. Like they didn't really stick. It wasn't a band that I that I wanted to keep coming back to after a few years. So. I know. Yeah, I probably got into them probably at the same time. Like, I think King of Jeans was the one that was like I heard first because that was like the first one that was on Sub Pop, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was probably working. I was probably working at Barnes and Noble, and like one of the things about that job that I liked was the newsstand. So like we had like all the music magazines you could get. So like I probably read it read about them in like Decibel or something like that terrorizer maybe rock sound like one of those type of magazines and that's probably where i heard them the first time and i was like well this is kind of fun i do distinctly remember listening watching the video for ice cream i've got you ice cream or however that the name of that song is on the on king of jeans mm-hmm. and i was like I, I like this band it's kind of silly lyrics that don't you know and then i remember gravitating to uh boring girls next as the other song that i was just like this is this band like a, they might be giants except for noise rock? <laughs> <laughs> that was great. <laughs> yeah, and and you know, I think honestly, so I think the first thing that I ever heard from Pistians probably uh, was the song "False Jesse Part 2. and got introduced to that by a buddy of mine. He might have shared it on his Tumblr or something like that. And I saw the video for it. And there was there was like this irreverence that I that wasn't it wasn't like Blink 182, like, yeah, pee pee poo poo fart. You know, it wasn't <laughs> quite like that, but it was like there was this playful, goofy, irreverent sort of take on things. And even that song, like, you know, that was kind of I was really starting to realize at that time that I had like a depressive mood disorder. And so even that song, like as playful and like as whatever as it is, the whole point of that song is is just like, yeah, nothing matters. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to, you know, and I even, you know, here I am like feeling super depressed. and just like, this speaks to me. <laughs> Who doesn't want to go anywhere? I don't want to go anywhere. Um, <laughs> So there was something about it that just felt like, okay, I, I don't have to, because everything was either super emo and super dramatic and cinematic, or it was super serious. Anything that I liked that was heavy at the time was like super serious, super aggressive. For me, it was about engaging with my aggression and my hatred and the ways that I hated myself and the world. And everything that wasn't that was like super cinematic and beautiful. And I was, you know, Pishin sat in a space for me that, that, was able to kind of articulate some of the loathsome sort of feelings that I did have, but that still felt playful and that felt, you know, felt lighthearted. And there was that noise element to it. There was that kind of like car, you know, like using noise and feedback to like carve out space in a song that um, to this day is still like a fun thing about music to me. It's an enjoyable thing when I can hear uh creators use unconventional sounds to create space and to create feeling and mood and songs so um even going you know as i started kind of i did the same thing i kind of backtracked and just started from as early as i could find which was shallow 
And it was kind of the same thing. It was like it did. It allowed me to feel like I I can identify with this person based on some of the things that I'm hearing. But he's also saying it in a silly little way that kind of <laughs> makes light of it and doesn't make me feel like I'm trying to bring attention to myself or like he's trying to bring attention to himself or anything like that. It's just it's just what it is. People just feel this sometimes. And, you know, and I think sonically, that's something that really still appeals to me today in terms of how I write music. So it's it's interesting to me to try to, you know, and not even try just like engaging with how I can not take things so seriously, how I can allow space to get filled up with noise, with feedback, with, you know, being intentional about it, but allowing that to play a role in the creative process and not just be a byproduct of it, you know? Revisiting it uh, for the show, is there anything that you noticed about it? Like, had it, I guess, had it been a minute since you listened to it, or is this something that was in your rotation regularly? Yeah, I'd say for me, it, it had been a, it had been a little while since I'd listened to it. I, um, when, when Wild Love Now came out, that's something. Wild Love Now and Honeys are two records that are like in fairly frequent rotation for me. Prior, uh, outside of that, there's not too much that I'm listening to on the regular unless it just comes up in a shuffle or something like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, going back through it, like, I think what was interesting about it is that it's um, it's way, way even more loose, I think, than like their later material. So, like when Zach and I went and saw them, uh, which was the second time that I had seen them, the singer in particular, I think, uh, and the guitarist just like their stage presence and the way that they play and the way that they perform, it does kind of have this thing of like, oh yeah, baby, whatever comes next is just whatever comes. <laughs> like it doesn't matter, you know, there's this like super duper looseness to it. But when I listen to Shallow versus listening to Why Love Now, there does seem to be this intentionality with stuff in Why Love Now. Like tightness doesn't feel like a word you should associate with pitch jeans necessarily, <laughs> but there's something that is still a little bit more cleaned up and a little bit more calculated about the later material versus the stuff that's earlier on. Like a lot of the songs on Shallow, it does sound, even that opening, you know, just that two hits in, feedback, you know, like there's something that's, that is like really loose and unhinged about it. And those are words that I know Zach and I have used a lot when we're just describing like what we want to hear in music and what we're excited about and what we're trying to kind of cultivate even at Demons. And so uh, that's one thing that I notice. Yeah, I guess it's not in constant rotation for me but you know i've always i love the song boring girls i think mm -hmm. that song is 
so good. And I think, like, so when I started listening to this record again, uh, leading up to the to this podcast, um, I don't know. Like, I think I like to assign a particular degree of importance to this kind of stuff. Uh, for, I think that there's something that's like super, super, like insightful about what's happening on this record. Um, as much again, like you know, I think that's kind of a bullshit line to approach it with just because i'm not trying to make things too serious or make myself seem critical or some some kind of like deeper meaning type person i don't want to do that but at the same time i listened to this and it's like okay well this is like super cool and i watched the video i think there's like just a lot of things that lie just beneath the surface of these songs and i think that a lot of it is obscured by um the noise dimension and i think i you know all this stuff kind of combines to me like it, it makes it for it makes it a better record you know, I do think there's a looseness to it that is probably, you know, a, a result of them just being, if you look at uh, Between Wild of Now and Shallow, yes, they they become a better band over the years, you know. And so I think you get this kind of like just more nascent type situation with, with Shallow where it's just like, you know, um, the things that we come to love about Piss Jeans like have their genesis here and maybe it's not intentional here. But maybe it becomes something that's like becomes part of of pitching sound that we kind of dig, and you know songs, you know, um, ashamed of my calm, like <laughs> just kind of for me. What's that song on Why Love Now? I uh, talks about is like that that spoken word, like super yeah. weird, creepy track. Yeah, it's like that is, like a poet or whatever. Yeah, I think you see this kind of similarity there between like these kind of like weird. I don't know how do you describe a song like that? You know, just getting like the decision to put it on a record and just talk about it. You know, this kind of thing is like super intense and, and super cool. Songs like a uh, closet marine, funny. You know, the song is like so funny. Uh, yeah, the noise element. I mean, I think that I, I remember when I listened to this record again after listening to the Gulch that Chris you mentioned that kind of two hit kind of come in. Like I, I get that with Gulch too on this Turbo Fortress record. So I don't know, and it's like so cartoonish. Like even the record cover, like there's like this dichotomy of like super intense dimensions, but also like a playfulness that 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 work really well together. Yeah, I agree. There, there's there. I think that's what it is. It's like one of the things that I was kind of thinking about a lot when I was going back and listening through to this record was just like, man, this this does feel like lonely. This this feels like very lonely and kind of sad. And there's there's shame, there's alienation, there's, you know, there's who am I? There, there's a lot of kind of existential shit happening lyrically, but it's presented in this fashion that is kind of like, like jerk off you know what I'm saying? Like it, it's, it, it and it, it juxtaposes those things together in a way that I think is strange that I can get both of what I need, both of those things from this, from this record. Like I can get some sense of like, you know, this is speaking to me. This is articulating something that I feel, that I experience, that I'm engaging with, um, that I'm wrestling with, that I'm working through in therapy. That, <laughs> but at the same time, there there is you know there's this piece of it that is just kind of raucous and wild and goofy and you know I can't really imagine anyone it doesn't like a fist fight at a pistine shot. I know it happens. I'm sure it happens, but you know. Yeah, it doesn't let you get to the spot of just like serious, deep, depressed reflection. It kind of yeah. leads you there and tricks yeah. you into kind of like you're right. You arrive at some point like, whoa, where am I right now mentally <laughs> and emotionally? I don't know how I got here. 
But I, you know, it's that record, it's the Piss Jeans record that kind of led you on this kind of really weird, deceptive path, you know. So then it kind of becomes this band where, you know, the band name itself, Piss Jeans, like, it's, 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 I think the band is doing everything they can to make people not take them seriously. But when you listen to them, then, like, you realize that there's something that's very serious about the band, or at least that's what I get from listening to them. So when you kind of get through that space and kind of get in into that space, like, oh, you know, this is kind of speaking to a lot of things and a very, you know, ironic way, I guess. Uh, irony, I don't like using that word um, too often because I think it's used too much. But I think there is this kind of layered um, complexity <laughs> and pissed jeans or just like, and maybe it's just because I'm a fan, you know, like, I don't know. <laughs> um, I, we ascribe a lot of meaning to things we love, um, even if that meaning is just maybe not there. I don't know. Like, uh. So yeah, there's like a mundanity to the lyrics that it just like it seems like it's just like oh it's just like I'm sick is like a good example because it's just like it's just describing symptoms of being sick like it's not really even like not much else to it like I mean you can look into it you can like you know go past like what the surface level says and that you're right there there's something that is a little deeper after you finish the record I guess it's more like oh. There is like a connection between all these songs. There is, a, and I know his job, like Lee, Matt Corvette's job, is he's like a, a small claims adjuster for like a Fortune 500 company. <laughs> like he has like a super like adult job, and like that's uh, so perfect <laughs> for like that makes so much sense to me. Yeah, so he's it's, this is an expressive outlet of being like. I have a normal ass job. Like this is normal. I'm probably bored most of the days. I gotta do something. Like, <laughs> that's, that's so, that makes everything. That makes so much more sense. That he's a small claims adjuster. That's like the most mundane job. Yeah. Like I, there's a whole oh. stereo gum article that is only about his job. <laughs> the whole article. It doesn't mention anything about his music. It just asks him what he does at his job. <laughs> He's like, do we go to talk about my band or my job? What's going on, Stereo? <laughs> I did find an interview from like a zine around the time Shallow came out. I think, yeah, like it must have been like right when the record even came out because they weren't even on Sub Pop yet. And it was very interesting because like the guy interviewing him was, he came from this kind of like edgy zine approach to writing. Like he's just like, just like a, oh so you have a regular job man that's fucking bullshit like that kind of like <laughs> i bet that yeah. shit sucks like that kind of <laughs> writing and so and he's like he just seemed like this very at this point he seemed just like this very normal dude like they seemed very local still at this point too like they talked to he talked about like the bands he'd played in before and like yeah we got a cool show coming up you know we're doing we're gonna do a tour next year of europe like they hadn't really even gone that far yet so it was like yeah. a very take on but he just, even in that early on, he just seemed like a very much just a normal dude. Just a normal yeah, dude. I'm looking at the lyrics. Got a weird outlet. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is just like, I funnel all my thoughts towards yeah. this, and I get to express it, and it's it's out. I'm looking at the word for health plan, which is not on Shallow, but it's on uh, Honey's. <laughs> and it's just like, so what? Sign me up on tests? 
try to turn my head, rub my back, and find some cancer. No, I'm not crazy. I know how you operate. <laughs> and don't you just love to operate? Well, not on me. It's <laughs> 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 so good. <laughs> yeah, because I I feel like okay, so Honey's is a good example because I think of that song Chainworker, and I feel. I'm just thinking now about how annoyed I might be if someone came up to me and was like, no, but really, if you think about it, he's making a really good point. Like, capitalism, (laughs) like, we're all just, like, chain workers. We really are just caught in an infinite loop. And it's like, okay, like, you know, I feel like it's the kind of thing you you really can't, like, you can't overanalyze or, or, you know, kind of try to create philosophy out of it too much. Unless you're looking back at it and being like, oh, yeah, this record came out 16 years ago. Let me listen to it. <laughs> and like, you know, I, I don't think I would have ever realized that that was the stuff that I was connecting to with Pish Jeans, you know, because I think, Zach, I think you're right. Like, there's not, there's so much that stands in the way of you taking them seriously. And seeing them live is like a perfect example of that, because in both experiences, even j- like like Matt Corbett, the drummer, that like they all, the, the, the way that they present themselves is, you know, it, it's not like they don't care necessarily, but there is kind of a recklessness about it, a reckless abandon. So I think that's the thing you, that's the thing you engage with, you know, you're not, very rarely are you engaging with it on like a deeper level than that. But then in retrospect, it's nice to be able to look back and see that there is some meat there too, you know, something beyond just a, a, a very immediate kind of, um, enjoyment of it. Yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. Um, Dylan, uh, sorry. No, go ahead. Go uh, ahead. I wanted to get Dylan's take on this record because he has he. <laughs> what's what the fun thing about this show is that I communicate with him between the episodes. So like, I'll be talking with our guest, and they'll be like, "Oh, I want to talk about this. This is gonna be awesome." And then I have to then relay this information to Dylan, <laughs> and then his reaction is almost always like, "Never would I expect." So. <laughs> What was your experience re-listening to Shallow? I don't remember what I said. I remember some of what what I said to you when we were when I was listening to the record and talking to you about it. And I think more of my negative opinions were probably fueled by it being like over 100 degrees and I was driving to work <laughs> early. Yeah, this um, is not a morning's record. It, <laughs> <laughs> Not it wasn't wasn't an early it was a closing shift but I had to come in early to cover someone so it was just like uh, rah, rah. like not not a good setting to start with <laughs> um, I was really surprised listening to this record and I don't know why because I, I definitely remember the vocals being like very David Yao Jesus Lizard kind of thing and I definitely remember it being like noise rock like that noisy aspect I somehow never made the connection that this record in particular, but Pistons in general as a band is directly, especially on this record, directly playing black flag. Mm-hmm. Like just like, like B side of my war mm-hmm. and like some of the, some of the later Rollins era stuff. Like, and it's really funny to me that I, it's weird to me that I, I I've never, I've never thought of them that way because when I was first listening to them was probably coming off of the summer that I like downloaded the entire black flag discography. <laughs> so like even then, like I was listening to music that sounded like these, these bands that sounded so similar to each other 
or like the one obviously imitating the other and didn't and didn't put it together like i was just <laughs> completely distracted by probably the vocals listening to it now there's a lot of really cool riffs like mm-hmm. it's you get to listen to someone do greg ginn guitar playing without having to listen to greg ginn <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was like the number one thing that I was like, whoa, I I didn't realize this was the band. This was also like the uh, instrumental damaged off of Black Flag <laughs> Damaged or like uh, even some like of the B side of like Slip It In. Like <laughs> just these real, real like noisy and sloppy solos. And you, no, still, I, get, I, you still get kind of you, you get kind of the Rollins side of it too like mm-hmm. in the lyrics and in the in the not necessarily the way his voice sounds so he does sound a little bit like Henry Rollins at, at some points but like Rollins had that kind of goofy sassy mm-hmm. like but you could also kind of psychoanalyze <laughs> his lyrics and his performance and what he's like what emotions he's getting at they're very primal mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you're not going to elaborate on them but you you understand psychologically where they're coming from. I mean, I'm glad like we're talking about Black Flag only because in my experience so far, like I haven't seen much. I mean, I don't know. I just thought I'd hear someone talk about piss jeans sound like Black Flag by now. And this is the first time I've been able to communicate that with people and have someone also agree that to <laughs> me, like there's just a, a substantial Black Flag dimension to, to piss jeans, but one that, you know, I like Black Flag because I like Black Flag, but I like, I think Piss Jeans is like a better version to me of Black Flag. I think there's something, and maybe it's just the time in which Piss Jeans exists. They sing differently, they, their their content's different, their attitude's different, and I can relate to that attitude more just because I'm uh, in that same kind of, you know, context. You know, with, but to me, like, it is like, black flag stuff but in a way that appeals to me more directly and i think there's a lot of bad black flag i i think there's more bad black flag than there is bad piss jeans i don't think there's much bad piss jeans i think there's piss jeans i might skip over but it's not because it's bad so and i think the piss jeans because they take themselves less seriously than black flag did uh, it's also more appealing to me. And again, I think that's just a contextual thing in terms of like where the scenes were at the time. So it's not to fault Black Flag for not being whimsical at all. It's just to, <laughs> you know, um, say I relate to Piss Jeans more directly just because of that dimension to their um, representation. Um, but yeah, the Black Flag thing is clear to me, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's something that people understand. Is it just this record? Is it this one's that much more raw? I no, listened, I think, I mean, the first I time I King thought of Black Flag was Health Plan. That song sounds to me like a Black Flag song, and that's the first time I realized I made that connection. But then now, um, I mean, maybe Wild of Now is not so much, but this record um, and Honey and, you know, Honey's are, uh, yeah, so. Sorry to cut someone off. I know I cut someone off there. Um, no, yeah. Uh, I, listen, I listened to King of Jeans a little bit after uh, listening to this record, and it's definitely still there. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's definitely, it's cleaned up a little more intentional. It's sense. not, it, it's not as yeah. raw sounding. Yeah. It's a little bit of the two of that. Uh, I mean, they are on sub pop. So like there is that, 
that sub poppy early nineties like noisiness. Mm-hmm. You know, like Nirvana had some noisy tracks, Mud Honey had noisy Mud tracks, yeah. Sonic Youth, you know, like all those bands had experimented plenty with noisy stuff. But and you know, I I think like I think one thing that I reference trying getting kind of on it compared and like the stooges um and i think for me that that was kind of in the sense that like even black flag there's like this kind of macho element to it there's a very there is a tough like a tough guy element to to black flag a little bit that i feel like is completely absent from pishy and stuff like it is not a machismo listen at all it's wild it's reckless it's it's raucous but it's not it's not macho and that's something that i really appreciate about it in the same and i i appreciate that about like some you know someone like iggy pop or a band like the stooges you know what i'm saying like where there's a wildness but that wildness is not whereas you know in the hard like in the hardcore world like wildness i i would typically associate with some degree of machismo with some degree of you know for better or for worse like that's an element that's there at a show like there's a physical even the physical kind of threat of danger of violence you know happening is like kind of part of that excitement at at times but then there's there's an element of it that can be a little bit too much and can border too much into into being a little toxic and a little dangerous like that Thompson Square Park show in New York. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's actually peak. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Black Flag Lives Matter, guys. <laughs> oh, God. So we're oh, told. Jesus Christ. Oh, <laughs> what was that, Springer? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Sorry to derail you, Chris. I just had to say it. Yeah. No, no, I was finishing up. <laughs> there that i guess that lack of macho-ness quote-unquote uh i guess that taps from the actual like the noise rock like your jesus lizards and your shellac you know like that type of noise rock so yeah that so this does feel like a, like a combination of a lot of different noisy sounds you know yeah. that's like three different distinct types of noise right there that we've mentioned shellac were nerds <laughs> yeah yeah oh yeah <laughs> and i think that that's like a piece that's like a piece of what like feels kind of feels good about them for a lot of people at least for someone like me you know is like i feel like i'm not i i don't feel like because that's so much of what i associated punk music with when i was when i was younger you know like i started associating it started with i don't fit in then it went to i don't belong then it went to i don't i'm not supposed to be here then it went to like i I don't feel safe. And I don't mean like in the sense of just like a pit, you know what I mean? Like there's, you know, but just when you don't feel personally connected to that community, when you're not really sure of like what your status is and, and where you stand, it's tough to go into a space and know that like, there's a, there's an, there's actual physical violence kind of associated with the fun aspect of like hardcore. And so you know, I think for t- when you're looking at some of these like noisier acts, especially a band like Shellac or or even like Big Black or something like that, like you you don't there's an element of that that feels so heavy and so powerful, but it it lacks that like kind of performative machismo, if that makes any sense. <laughs>
definitely a a posturing side of hardcore, which a lot of the origin originators of the sa- the sound were like very much against. They did not want like you know jocks coming in, <laughs> starting fights just because it's like loud and heavy. Like right. a lot of it was like, no, I'm I'm writing about what I'm feeling. I mean, that's yeah, that just happens with every <laughs> heavy sound. I think like metal has the same problem too. Like it was. Bunch of yeah, nerds right. writing about wizards and shit, <laughs> smoking weed, and then yeah. uh, it turned into like brutal slam dancing <laughs> shows. <laughs> but and, like, like, there's de- there's definitely an element of that that I fuck with. You know what I mean? There's yeah, an yeah, element yeah. of that that I do enjoy. Right. I think that there's an element of that that like doesn't leave that space. That I'm sorry, that does leave that space still, where where it's just like, wait, like. There, I don't want to have to like evaluate my identity based on <laughs> based on these like kind of like football locker room kind of tactics <laughs> of of interaction. This is not. This feels. It's a fun thing to go out and wrestle with your friends, but if you're just walking the fucking grocery store and you feel like everyone's gonna fight you, it's like ah, I'm not going to that grocery store anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's it's the difference between uh, like boxing and wrestling, or like MMA and wrestling, like. You have all of this like macho like posturing where it's like I'm actually intent on causing you physical harm, and wrestling is like this is silly and fun, and I want yeah, it to look right. like I'm causing harm, but actually we're all going to go home okay at the end. That's the but, goal. <laughs> yeah, it's ultimately it's theater. Like it's not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah totally. Think, uh, you know, within these kind of like large hubs of this kind of the more problematic dimensions of the cultures. You know, band like Piss Jeans and others, um, they stand as like this kind of like mirror to the absurdity of these scenes. I think it kind of offers a nice reflection point. Um, and in the sense that if we talk about Piss Jeans not taking themselves too seriously in one dimension, um, and also kind of having a subtle commentary on, on masculinity, which I think they have. I don't know. I think that kind of offers like you have these kind of adjacent um, cultures that that stem from uh, the punk rock and hardcore scene, but also operate in a way that kind of puts the mirror back on these scenes and kind of um, allows people to kind of point out and, and, and recognize the toxicity or the absurdity uh, of these scenes. I think it's a nice kind of corrective element if anyone takes a moment to pay attention and listen, you know. So I think they kind of serve this role that reminds everyone of of certain things they need to be reminded of. I mean, there's certain things with the hardcore scene that are just like such a turnoff. Um, and bands like this kind of, for me, just kind of re-inject this kind of enthusiasm um, about this culture in general. Um, despite all the problems that exist within or in here in any kind of culture, you're going to have these kind of issues. But... You know, I think that's why the band, I gravitated towards the band as much as I did, just because it's like, okay, well, you know, their whole existence is kind of a, a critique. Uh, the band's existence, that is, like, on, on certain things that I find, I, I take issue with. And I, I think of, uh, you know, to go back to uh, Propaganda and that record list, Talk More Rock, when it came out, um, you know, that song, the, the, self, the, the title track, um, you know, he talks about having, you know, homosexual sex and how, you know, he was kind of a comically kind of associating the jock crowd of the fat records community um, with this kind of look if, you know, I'm ta- I'm singing about homosexuality and because you like this, like, I'm, I'm implicating you as well. 
I'm inviting you into this kind of self-awareness. And for me, that was like a turning point just to see a band like that kind of infiltrate a very macho scene, but also take particular efforts to distance themselves from it um, by doing certain things. And I'm not, again, I'm not trying to project this onto Piss Jeans, but in terms of what I get from the band, it's kind of on the same kind of wavelength where, you know, you have a band that has a song called Ashamed of My Calm, but also Propaganda singing about, you know, I refuse to be a man. Like things like that to me, like kind of are all in the same kind of space, but they just perform it differently and they kind of take different routes to bring people's attention to issues that are important. So I think, you know, bands like that are like serve a very serious, a very productive and helpful role um, within the scene itself. If, if you know, if, you, if we associate these bands within the same scene at all. And I think they do. I think they match in a way. I mean, they're not we, on, on the show recently. We've kind of like stepped out a little bit of the definition of what punk is, mainly due to just whatever our guests feel like bringing in. So we've done records that are more like, well, that's more indie rock than anything. And that's more post rock or that's just straight up alternative rock. But even in all of these records, there's still some, you know, like that vein of punk that runs through them in some way or another. So, I mean, the fact that like, what is it, Dave in this band was also in Yo Man Go and Carpenter Ant in Philly. Like that's those are straight up like punk and emo bands there. So like they come from the same space, essentially. Mm-hmm. I was looking at like the rest of the lineup of the band too, and like where else they'd done. And uh, the drummer or uh, Tim left the band after this record, and then Dave would leave after Hope for Men, which is the next record. And so I guess this might be their most punk era, like this, and maybe the next record. But even still, their sound hasn't changed drastically. They're just a little more not cleaned up, but just a little more. A little bit more of a shine on it. I guess that comes from the sub pop, you know, budget. You know, you, you get to work with some good people. Sure. You know, so it's going to sound sure. good, even though you're purposely trying to sound noisy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say something, but I forgot what it was. Sorry. <laughs> um, we're, all, we're all deep in thought. I think we're all deep, deep thinking <laughs> about this. <pistol. laughs> Which is funny to think about. What an interesting <laughs> sentence that was. <laughs> uh, does anyone have any favorite songs on the record? Boring Girls, for me, usually mm-hmm. takes the cake. That's one that, like, even if I'm not listening to the record, like, I'll go out of my way to pull that up in whatever platform I'm using just to listen to that one. But also, I'm sick. I, I think that that's, that might want to be one of my absolute favorite album openers that I can think of right now. Definitely <laughs> in the top 20, for sure. <laughs> Yeah, I think yeah, the, I think the opening three songs are, I mean, well, I guess this, the third one is like seven minutes long, but yeah, <laughs> it's got great parts. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I I really like Little Sorrel on the uh, on the oh, back end, yes. second to last song. Yes. I, I really think it's the best song, other than behind Boring Girls. Yeah, I mean, I love Plaza Marine. I, I also love I Broke My Own Heart. I think that lyrically that band, that that song I dig a whole lot. Um, I mean, sh- um, I'm sick and boring girls. Like you know, I, of course, it's, those songs are both incredible. But I also, yeah, I, I dig Closet Marine as well. Yeah, I think Closet Marine is probably my favorite outside of Boring Girls. It uh, it has like a I don't know what what is is it a sw- almost like a swing to the way he like 
does the chorus on that. I don't know how to describe that. It's just like it's like he's hurtling himself across like the studio. <laughs> like that's how that sounds. <laughs> yeah, I know what you're talking about. Like there, there's like a there is like a bit of a scoop that sort of yeah. happens. That yeah, you sort of you know what I mean. Like Plaza yeah. Marine, just like the way yeah. he kind of just like goes across. <laughs> <laughs> I used to think he was saying something about meringue before I ever like really looked at the <laughs> lyrics. The lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> what is he? I don't think about? I ever knew what he was saying prior to looking <laughs> at the lyrics, and I was like, "Oh shit, okay." So yeah, still pretty much nothing, but. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But even like Wachovia, even though it's a really long song, it has a really it's like a really good ending to the record. It's like a super loud track and like super noisy. Yeah, that's a great ender to the album. Yeah, I think so. I think that album. I think that album closes, uh, opens, and closes really, really well. Really well, ties everything up in a way that's really pleasing. Well, um, unless anyone has anything else they want to say about the record, I'm I'm good with wrapping up here. All right, the only songs on the record. (laughs) Uh, well, thank you so much for doing the show. Um, please tell everyone where we can get your music and where we can follow you online. Um, okay, Chris, can you tell them? <laughs> yeah, I'll that? tell I'll tell them a few things. Um, <laughs> so you can find us. Actually, you'll need to help me with the URLs because I always forget. So uh, you can find us on Instagram. Uh, we are at Demons Band on Instagram. We're also on Bandcamp where you can access our music and uh, merchandise that we're selling. That's at Bandcamp.com slash Demons USA, Zach. No, no, hold on. URL. <laughs> I think it's I think it's demons. I'm gonna look it up in my my um, look it up. predictive uh text. I always forget. <laughs> it's demonsband.bandcamp.com. Demonsband.bandcamp.com. Um we are also on Spotify and Apple Music. It can be a little challenging to find us in those platforms because there's a couple of other demons rolling around. So I would suggest <laughs> looking up privation. Privation is the name of our newest record, our second LP. Really excited to have it out. And um, yeah, I highly, highly recommend everybody give Privation a listen because it's it it really rules. It's a really great record. It's a really good record. Justin Justin told me you should sample uh, the band that's going to be on the show next week. I'm like, oh, I've already listened to the whole record. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> I listened. Yeah. I probably listened to it like the day after it came out or something. Like yeah. I saw it, Justin either talking about it on on our on the punk lotto twitter or somewhere and i was just Either. like oh that sounds cool i'm gonna go listen to that <laughs> Sick. Yeah, i'm so glad both you guys liked it thank you it's really good I-, I love it a lot um and then our very last thing we always ask our guests to uh shout out or name any charities and nonprofits they would like to bring some attention to yeah we talked about this Jay, uh chris go with yours you had one uh go with yours first i'm finding mine again so i can uh, speak about it uh accurately yeah, yeah. So um, one of the ones that I'm really interested in is uh, it's a local one for us here in Hampton Roads. And um, they basically what their whole deal is, they're called the Tidewater Solidarity Bail Fund. Um, what their situation is, is they're basically trying to end um, 
in in the need for any kind of like pre-trial incarceration whatsoever. But in the meantime, until we can kind of get that level of liberation and abolition off of the ground fully, it's a means of supporting people who are kind of caught in the system of the carceral state. So this allows people to have access to funds for receiving cash bonds, for being able to be out of jail cells prior to um, prior to any kind of trials. It also helps people with expenses. Uh, even something like an ankle monitor for house arrest is something that those people have to pay for. So if you're someone who's in a situation like that, that's oftentimes something that you're not gonna have the cash out of hand um, to uh, right out of pocket to be able to pay for. So please uh, uh, consider donating if this is something you like doing on a regular basis or if you're more sporadic with your donations. They're called the Tidewater Solidarity Bail Fund. You can find them on Instagram or you can just Google um, a one-time donation or a recurring donation would be greatly appreciated. Cool. And also I want to just um, emphasize uh, the Trevor Project. You know, we're in, in, we're in Pride Month here. Um, the Trevor Project works to uh, support um, LGBTQIA uh, youth, um, just those efforts uh, that offer support and uh, support for, for that community. Um, so that's, and it was between, honestly, I was talking to Chris about this. We were going through um, different organizations. There's also the National Black Justice Coalition as well. That's DC based. Um, and uh, civil rights organization dedicated, uh, and this is from the website I'm reading, the empowerment of black, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer plus, and same gender loving uh, people. So uh, those two, uh, along with Chris's, I think uh, we want to suggest anyone um, to, to look into those organizations. So the National Black Justice Coalition, that's the nbjc.org um, or the trevorproject.org. Both are, I think, worth um, checking out for sure. And if you can help, please do. Um, I donated to the National Black Justice Coalition uh, last week. Um, so you know, doing great work um, for sure. Awesome. I'll make sure to include links to all of that stuff in the show notes. Um, we feel sure. it's important in the punk community to help out where we can because to me i became radicalized and leftist and more you know far left than ever thanks to punk i think you know yes. bringing that kind yeah. of stuff to my attention so yeah. that's why we always feel the need to uh, call that kind of stuff out so for sure yeah definitely yeah well thanks so much so so much for coming on the show uh god I, this is probably the first like in-depth discussion on drone we've ever had on the show <laughs> <laughs> That was a funny way to kick it <laughs> off. <laughs> no, thank we had you a good so time. much for having us. Thanks, this was thanks great. for having us. Great conversation. Yeah. yeah. This is awesome. Thanks. <laughs>